I V M. Doctors protesting across the state of Karnataka. Price controls crippling private healthcare. Proposals of kangaroo courts to try errant doctors. Welcome to this week's episode of the Pragati Podcast, where we dive into the politics and economics of regulating private healthcare in India. We are your hosts, Hamsini Hariharan and Pavan Srinath. A lot has been happening in November, with new hospital regulations being proposed, protested, and passed in Karnataka, and this has implications for the entire country. At the Takshila Institution, many of us have been brainstorming and writing about hospital regulations, and specifically the Karnataka Private Medical Establishments Amendment Act of 2017. That is a mouthful. but it essentially is a new set of regulations for how private hospitals and other institutions can be governed in the state of karnataka joining hamsini and i today are three of our colleagues pranay kotasthane anupam manur and saumya nandan in the first half of today's show we'll follow the saga of what happened in karnataka it all started with the government proposing certain amendments to something called the kpme act that's anupam manur fellow and faculty at the takshashila institution Essentially, there was an act in force which tried to regulate uh, private medical enterprises and then basically tried to register them and license them and so on. That was the initial act, and now so the- just just for context, what this means is. First of all, health is a state subject. Yeah. Right. So, though we have a Ministry of Health in New Delhi, most of our healthcare is provided for by the state, state government. State government, yes. Right? So, apart from whatever public health that is done and government-provided healthcare, this is a regulation to regulate everyone else. Everyone else. So, essentially, the initial concern was that there were far too many quacks, right? Okay. In the system and uh, far too many irregular medical practices. So the whole funda initially was to bring everyone as registered medical practitioners right. so that so, you could regulate these. yeah i mean i mean doctors are a profession where a, a lot of nasty things can happen you can have a lot of charlatans who can start prescribing things exactly. so you need some yeah. form of regulation who right? would basically fix a broken vertebrae with a iron hammer right <laughs> <laughs> so right. in order to avoid that and have more regulated practitioners the kpme act was introduced in 2007 and now in 2017 10 years later they said that they want to introduce certain amendments okay so now the mandate is not just taking care of charlatans the government of karnataka wanted to strengthen the regulations on private healthcare in the state ostensibly to prevent hospitals from fleecing patients and by providing the wrong medical care to them to do this the first draft of the amendment that was tabled in the state legislature proposed to do two big things that were both deeply problematic and also rankled the doctors and the hospitals the first new policy measure was strict price controls on a host of medical procedures with prices determined by government appointed committees further severe penalties including jail time were imposed if those price caps were violated Okay, so let's actually look at an instructive tale from what has happened just about a year back. Uh, the central government felt the same way that you are arguing and uh, decided to put a price cap on stents, coronary stents used mainly in heart operations, right? And the principle was pretty much the same to give uh, accessibility and affordability to. medical patient so uh, you would see that in just about a year's time the two biggest manufacturers of stents have withdrawn from indian market they have started supplying elsewhere uh, there's a severe shortage of stents so uh, and i think 
Abbott Pharmaceuticals refused to introduce their latest line of stents into India because of price control. Precisely. So now that is available elsewhere, you can probably get it on the black market, which is the next obvious step, which economic predictability will tell you. So that's, uh, I think, a very instructive tale as to what will happen here. So you put price caps, you will get, uh, firstly, a lot of hospitals will shut down. Uh, the hospitals that you know, can still remain viable in some sense, will lower the quality. So you'd have probably larger infestations in, in the rooms, you'd have bad medical practices going on or cheaper instruments, cheaper pills used, so on and so forth, right? So or there will... can also be just distortions in prices, right? All the wrong things get hiked. Your room rents might go through the roof, but the price of medical treatments might drop. Exactly, yeah. Right. So it seems like the fundamental problem here is that medical treatments are complex. Absolutely. And so the pricing associated is complex. Even if, say, one type of a decompression back surgery has one notional price, each patient's case is different. Precisely. I mean, due to some unforeseen circumstance, a patient might have to stay in the ICU for three days extra. Now, and if the present amendment goes through, then they can't charge for those three days, right? Because they've already fixed the price. I mean, how how can that ever be possible? So the biggest consequence of all of this uh, will be a large number of doctors will first leave Karnataka and go set up elsewhere, right? Uh, so you'll have a severe shortage of uh, medical treatment as well in, in the entire state. The second policy measure tabled were grievance redress cells that were to be set up by the government at the district and metropolitan levels, with the superintendent of police, the Zilla Panchayat CEO, a medical representative, and Ayush or alternative medicine representative, all sitting in this committee to judge medical establishments or doctors for any grievances by the patients. They were endowed with a lot of punitive powers, including prescribing jail time, and it was unclear if the doctors or the medical establishment representative could even defend themselves in this court. Very kangaroo. Actually, there are several mechanisms already in place. So there's a district level, state level and a central level consumer redressal forums okay. of which the medical practitioners also come under. Right. right. So in terms of overcharge and things like that, the consumer court exactly. is a good place. Yeah. Right? And if you have uh, negligence of by the doctor, willful negligence, then you can also do, put a criminal case or even a civil case. Right. So there's criminal and, you and can civil do courts. This, of course, against the hospital as well, if systemically they have failed. At exactly. Level. And finally, there's also the medical council who has the powers to re, uh, revoke a doctor's license. Okay. So there is enough avenues as it is to get your complaint solved. Third provision, which was actually a welcome move forward, was that the new amendment also introduced a patient's charter of rights, the most important of which was the ability to take a second opinion. And this entire set of rights was well-intentioned, but it lacked teeth beyond the troublesome grievance redress cell that we just mentioned. Karnataka's private hospitals and doctors took umbrage at the nature of the new amendments being proposed that might soon put them out of a job. Doctors started protesting at Freedom Park in Bangalore, a public space that once used to house the Bangalore jail. The Freedom Park is a place where a lot of popular protests and movements have happened and was one of the hubs for the India Against Corruption movement back in the day. I think about 40,000 doctors uh, basically took leave on November 3rd. Wow. <laughs> in essence, they, they didn't turn up at office and instead went to Freedom Park. So all the OPDs were shut for one day. 
Yeah, and that was uh, insane because for a lot of people who are uh, common people did not probably know about it, and they reach a hospital and they uh, are in pain, and yeah, and care. they couldn't get treatment as well. Um, and uh, you know, if you look at how it's progressed from there, uh, there was something called as Belgam Chalo. Uh, so um, what what that means is all the doctors went for the winter session uh, that was happening in Belgam. That's Soumya Nandan, program manager at the Takshashila Institution. Karnataka's capital is in Bangalore and its state legislature is also housed there. However, the state opened a second assembly building called the Suvarna Sauda in Belgaum a few years ago. Belgaum is a smaller town almost at the Karnataka Maharashtra border and the Suvarna Sauda was started there as a gesture of greater importance being given to the northern half of the state which felt that it was neglected and the southern interests were dominant in the state. And so therefore the state assembly conducts one session of its proceedings in Belgaum every year. So doctors who wanted to protest the government's action and talk to the politicians and take their demands into consideration had to go all the way there. People who had to go from Bangalore, essentially the bigger chunk of uh, doctors who are here and who had to get to Belgaum, uh, a lot of uh, people in the travel industry decided to offer, uh, you know, packages. So uh, they had like uh, uh, 3,500 rupees package where you have uh, twin sharing and then you have 5,000 for a slightly elitish version of it. Basically, bath, uh, attached bathroom. <laughs> And maybe luxurious bus as well. Uh, so the package was a complete tour, right? So you start from Bangalore. Uh, again, uh, Hubli uh, is the place they had to be put up because Belgaum does not have the capacity to host uh, such a big uh, number. So uh, they they were at uh, Hubli and then you have a one and a half hours drive into Belgaum. So you come back and the package also includes your uh, bread and breakfast, uh, you know, lunch and dinner and everything associated with this it. This is the most comfortable protest that I have heard about. Yeah, and why would people go to Belgaum or Hubli otherwise, right? So the economy in that sense has uh, flourished uh, in in the couple of days that the protests were happening there. And while they're protesting, the the hospitals in the rest of the state are shut or are they still providing services? So they were taking up only emergency services, a few of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But most of the uh, outpatient departments were closed. So you had, I mean, unless it was a grave emergency, you didn't have recourse to medical treatment in the last couple of days. As Tyler Cowan writes often, there are markets in everything. And we saw one rise over here. But this protest was not without its cause. Private healthcare did suffer in the state and it was a bad time for patients. The Karnataka High Court started chastising the doctors who were protesting and eventually demanded that they get back to their workplace. This is a curious turn of events too, but not one that is surprising for Indian courts. Instead of being interpreters of the constitution, courts have started issuing directives on whatever they think is the best idea. While suffering patients have a right to life, this right is a negative right, which means that no one has the right to take away your life, neither the government nor any other individual or any other entity. It doesn't mean that you can force anyone to go into work rather than let them do whatever they want to do so long as they're not breaking the law. Meanwhile, the protests were continuing and gathering momentum with renowned local doctors leading the protests. Finally, around November 17th or 18th, negotiations picked up pace between the government and the doctors and the chief minister announced that a compromise had been struck and that a new amendment would be tabled in the assembly with new provisions. 
The new amendment was tabled on November 22nd and passed with a voice vote on the exact same date. The, this final amendment now that's been made into law had some things that were good, some things that were bad and some things that were entirely missing. First, the good stuff. Price controls were dropped completely. We are happy that the government saw wisdom in this and in place were a new set of rules on how prices should be more transparent via websites, printed booklets that could be accessible to the patients and more. Second, the bad stuff. Instead of a separate grievance redress cell that was previously proposed with problematic members, the existing registration authority became a registration and grievance redress authority. This is a, an authority with government officials, including your district health officer, your district commissioner and others who had to register or license every single medical establishment. So they would essentially have an interface with medical establishments once in every three or five years. Now, because they're also the grievance redress authority, they've come together and there are so many more interactions between this government entity and medical establishments. This can lead to a lot more corruption. It can lead to a lot more harassment. And while this is seen as an ostensibly pro-patient move, it can actually become pro-government and anti-patient and anti-hospital. Third, what's missing are true solutions that can address the real challenges in the healthcare market. We need 21st century regulations to think about this 21st century healthcare market. You know, it's stunning to note that the entire KPME amendment never once mentioned this third set of actors in this entire healthcare system, the insurance providers. There was only mention of medical establishments like hospitals and diagnostic centers, and there was mention of patients and no one else. So more on the real problems of the healthcare market and real solutions after the break. Over 47% of online users in India have experienced harassment at some point. So if it's two of us inside this recording studio, chances are pretty high that one of us has faced abuse at some point. How do we tackle this? What do we need to do better? Come, let's learn together. Join me on Akanksha Against Harassment at IVM Podcast every Thursday. Let's learn how to make online a safe place together. Welcome back to the Pragati Podcast. We've been talking about how Karnataka is regulating private hospitals, but it's easy to miss the forest for the trees. The symptoms that plague the healthcare market are overcharging and mistreatment. But what is the diagnosis? And once we get the diagnosis right, what's the right course of treatment that won't kill the patient? which in this case is the private sector. Let's look at that a little more properly. Helping me do this is Pranay Kotastane, fellow and faculty at the Takshashila Institution. So first, let's begin by understanding that uh, the out-of-pocket spending on health uh, in India is four times that of the government spending, which means most of the burden of spending on healthcare is borne by individuals, not by governments, as it might be in the case of some other countries. Right. And this out-of-pocket expenditure in India includes even private health insurance spending. Yes. Right? yes. Which is not how it's defined in most places. Yeah. So people in the US, for example, talk about contributions that you need to do on top of your uh, health insurance. You're doing this particular uh, treatment and so you have to pay $100 as a co-pay. Right? So when in the US people talk about out-of-pocket, they mean that. But in India, the health insurance uh, spending by private uh, individuals is also very, very low. 
एंड द सेकेंड एस्पेक्ट इज जस्ट द एवोल्यूशन ऑफ द हेल्थ केयर इंडस्ट्री इन इंडिया राइट पवन वाई डोंट यू टॉक अबाउट इट हाउ द हेल्थ केयर इंडस्ट्री इन इंडिया हैज इवॉल्व सो दिस इज माई रफ अंडरस्टैंडिंग बट बाई एंड लार्ज यू स्टार्टेड विथ लार्ज गवर्नमेंट हॉस्पिटल और लार्ज चैरिटेबल हॉस्पिटल प्रॉबेबली लोकेटेड इन बिग सिटीज एंड दैट्स अबाउट इट सो एन इंडिया बिकेम इंडिपेंडेंस मोस्ट इंडियंस गेव बर्थ टू चिल्ड्रन एट होम राइट सो द फर्स्ट बिग शिफ्ट दैट हैपन इन हेल्थ केयर इज प्रॉबेबली द इंस्टीट्यूशनलाइजेशन ऑफ डिलीवरीज एंड आई कैन टेल इन माई ओन फैमिलीज इट वॉज ओनली इन द लेट सेवेंटीज और एटीज दैट पीपल शिफ्टेड फ्रॉम अ मिड वाइफ टू अ लोकल नर्सिंग होम सो इवन इन कर्नाटका लेजिस्लेटिव हिस्ट्री इफ यू सी इट वॉज इन नाइनटीन सेवेंटी सिक्स दैट कर्नाटका केम आउट विथ अ प्राइवेट नर्सिंग होम रेग्युलेशन एक्ट राइट right so the regulation was not for private hospitals diagnostic centers any of those but nursing homes mm. uh, where you could go for multiple things but primarily for uh, maternal health for uh, for uh, delivering children so from that we have come to a place where at least i think in large cities we have a high amount of competition in the uh, healthcare industry so i don't think it's right at all to say there is any kind of monopoly in this place mm. though there might be local monopolies in small towns maybe a town of 2 3 lakh people might have only one uh, good hospital with an icu that is a problem mm. but um, people are also surprisingly mobile to get the best healthcare or the right healthcare people are willing to move countries mm. not just uh, cities uh, even though that process can be expensive so our cities by and large have very competitive healthcare and i'd say one of the most competitive sectors is diagnostics mm. this is anecdotal but especially in bangalore you can see diagnostic centers at every price point with different levels of technology different levels of speed and quality uh, that have sprung up mm. right the same with hospitals you can get different levels of care but at different hospitals um, you know where in some hospitals they might just be better at um, patient friendliness in some they might be even more paranoid about cleanliness and so on uh, but by and large you can get healthcare at multiple price points yeah the private healthcare you mean right yes yeah. so competition is good mm. in private healthcare but the big problem seems to be how do you choose to hospitals how do you trust what the doctor or your hospital is telling you mm. right mm. so yeah that is the big problem and that's where we that is what is called as information asymmetry right so what does information symmetry mean when two people who are involved in a transaction have the same level of information so for example you are buying and selling something both of them have the same level of information about the product then it you are said to be having information symmetry which is very rare it doesn't right. exist if i'm buying a packet of parleji biscuits uh, from any supermarket i know that the packaging is proper i know what a parleji biscuit packet looks like i i can see the mrp printed mm. right there mm. um we know that un- unless something very shady is happening this is legitimate so i will go and buy it mm. same with a bottle of coca cola right i if i know that the cap is sealed i know that i am buying 
Coca-Cola, not some dodgy black colored liquid. Yeah. So that's not the situation which would have existed a few years back when there wouldn't have been uh, a regulation to ensure that you mention what are the products or the ingredients that have gone into making parleji, for example. Right. So earlier there was this information asymmetry. You wouldn't yeah, I know, didn't know the nutritional yeah, content. So you didn't know what was being used in that or what was the sugar content in that. Uh, but to... Uh, mitigate this information asymmetry. Government had this regulation where you have FSSAI and others coming in and you now have the ingredients put up. So now it has empowered you as a purchaser of that product. So now when you are making that decision, you are making a conscious one about the fat content in it or uh, the sugar content. So in behavioral it, right? economics notwithstanding, we were making reasonably informed decisions. Yes. So now that is an example where we've tried to bridge information asymmetry in the food product domain, right? Now let's come to healthcare. Now information asymmetry is a big problem in healthcare, uh, specifically because the stakes are just too high, right? Because we are talking about the life and death of a person. So the doctor always has more information than you as a patient have. And uh, we are now... Given how complex healthcare is today, one doctor doesn't even have all this information, yeah. right? You need five specialists uh, based on uh, what your health status is. If you're doing surgery, the anesthesiologist knows the best way to put you under. The neurosurgeon or whichever other surgeon knows how to do the best thing, right? So not even one doctor has exactly. this information so anymore. Not even one doctor has that information. So we can't even expect a person or a patient to know deep details of how a procedure is conducted or what procedure is right or wrong, what are the risks and involved. And anecdotes about how doctors actually make terrible patients. Right? Yeah, yeah. So even doctors cannot do this well. Exactly. Uh, when actually Paul Kalani, this book also talks about it, right? When breath becomes fresher, when he becomes a patient from a doctor and then he sees it from a very different light. So anyways, so in general, patients who go, especially in times of emergency or some great crisis, you have a life or death situation. Even when in regular times, we don't always make the best decisions. It's very hard for people to make the right ones. Yes. And there, whatever the doctor tells you, you're willing to believe it, even if it's not the right solution. That's true. And we need to also understand that patients and their families are under extreme duress during that time. So making a sound decision is really, really tough. So you're putting your hands and your lives literally in the hands of uh, exactly. healthcare institutions. So the, the, that's why I said the stakes are very high. So if the information asymmetry exists in this particular area, government needs to do something to eliminate this to whatever extent is possible. As we discussed... Or the market itself needs to evolve where this is eliminated in some way. Yeah, correct. So, uh, so that's the big problem. Even in the Indian healthcare sector, even though as we discussed, uh, there are solutions available at various price points for diagnostics and for private healthcare. The problem of information asymmetry still remains. So competition in the healthcare industry is not enough to make it a good one. Yes, yes, it is not good enough. So that's why this problem is gaining traction and you see this uh, an indication of this happening is when you see a lot of these horror stories which come out right so you would have seen horror everyone has a horror story about how they were ill-treated by doctors or how a hospital overcharges them and all so that, i've right? seen two categories of uh, problems that hmm. have come out grievances of various sort one where 
there was fraud of some kind or medical malpractice mm. where the doctors did not treat the patient well they gave wrong courses they did maybe over treatment and then that led to a loss of life or loss of health mm. or some sort of a medical problem mm. the second category seems to be where the medicine was done more or less okay the patient survived managed to get out but patients got fleeced in the process yeah. Mm. right so these are two very distinct categories of issues so let's talk about the first category of problems which is medical malpractice or wrong treatment of some sort mm. the first gate i think we put kenneth arrow i think is one of the first economists to talk about the challenges of the healthcare industry and uh, identifying information asymmetry he says that the first thing you need to do is medical licensing of some sort so you put an entry gate for who gets to be called a doctor who gets to be called a medical institution hmm. right both for the hospitals and for individuals and which is why even today uh, doctors are one of those few professions where they have a special uh prefix to their name right dr uh, not every other profession has this so this idea that you call someone a doctor specially and then they have various gates is very important so i think in india you have the moment you finish an mbbs degree you get some sort of a license to practice medicine and i think with every subsequent specialization you get more specific licenses to practice those things right uh so this is an important gate that is there and then this gating function is supposed to survive through the course of the career through continuous medical education where doctors have to keep up to date with latest technologies latest treatment options like for example what we know about cholesterol in the body and dietary cholesterol all the information has changed in the last few years so doctors need to know to keep up to give the latest treatments so this continuous medical education bit is not happening too well in the country those doctors who are good stay uh, current but you know the regulations don't really enforce that too well currently right so this is step 1 mm. what else do you think comes in yeah the second most important thing is this idea of second opinion so this is during the procedure of actually giving yeah. out health uh, so now you have a doctor you've made sufficient gates entry gate so that you know the doctor that you meet is a person who knows his or her stuff after that Uh, when the patient comes in uh, currently in india we don't have this culture of second opinion which means you trust that, the doctor brian yeah we just trust the doctor we have all our movies where you know doctor is treated like a god and things like that so when the patient comes there and the doctor recommends a treatment you just believe what the doctor says now that is a problem and that falls straight into this information asymmetry problem so this, that means doctor can recommend some certain things which might Sometimes not be required the doctor might just be mistaken right yeah correct it they, might be, they might be honest mistakes yeah they willfully or uh, uh, unwillfully there might be problems so now if we have this culture of second opinion which means that a patient is empowered enough to go and seek opinion from another doctor then uh, you can make sufficient trade offs uh, from the patient side so if two doctors uh, converge on the same opinion then you can be reasonably sure that yes this is the way to go forward whereas if two doctors don't agree to a particular solution then you need to make a much tougher decision so that is one way in which you can eliminate the first problem or you reduce it significantly yeah, yeah you can at least tackle it sufficiently so there are some moves i think in the united states where 
there are so many other things that are wrong with the us healthcare uh, system where uh, the rates are jacked up you insurance rates are so high there of the same order of magnitude as income lots of problems but there i think there's been a move where the second opinion is made as automatic as possible and as inexpensive as possible by i think even trying to use things like telemedicine hmm. so now that we have extensive records and those are all electronic all your tests all your details they can be sent over to another doctor who's sitting somewhere else who can very quickly tell you that okay you're on the right track you're doing the right thing and then ask you to defer to the first doctor and this can be done with a small fee so they're not doing it out of favor or because they have some relationship with the first doctor but as a a purely commercial uh, line of activity True. right i think uh, if i'm not mistaken there are also startups and other things which are coming up which want to make this process simpler so i think even in india hospitals probably need to work together to make this process as easy as possible right you're an emergency patient you've been admitted somewhere and sub- suddenly somebody says you need to undergo this surgery you can't always go to a second hospital and seek this kind of opinion yeah so basically the government's role here is to make these sort of uh, market interactions possible and not uh, try to restrict it for example there are very strict regulations on telemedicine in india now that hampers what the type of things that you were mentioning in us it's difficult to do that in india because then it won't be treated as something which is legal and things like that so the government role there is to enable such interactions third thing i can think of and this comes down to internal cultures of hospitals and the healthcare uh, system in the country are these things called um, morbidity and mortality conferences mm-hmm. so sometimes they happen within hospitals so say you go through a week or a month you've had 2000 patients who've come in uh, as inpatients maybe 20 of them have passed away uh, some of them got out but there were complications with their treatment so doctors as a community grill each other mercilessly to say how did they do it they go wrong why where did they go wrong why didn't they try something else why didn't they run a test and basically grill each other to an extent where they learn from each other's mistakes and know not to repeat this mm. right so there is a strong self regulation aspect i think to any such uh, highly specialized profession uh, like healthcare right both amongst hospitals and probably amongst doctors themselves Essentially if we're talking about an asymmetry of information between the healthcare provider and the patient you want to give the patient more and better information such that they can take the right decisions so the idea of a second op- independent opinion the idea of uh, some of these gating functions comes in hmm. how else do we do this yeah. uh, there's other host of problems right overcharging and the right. non medical problems with healthcare right how do we try and address this yeah. so we need a patient protection service and that's the big solution that i think can mitigate both the problems that we were discussing about information asymmetry and so what all does this service have we probably want to start with aggregating information of some sort right yeah so uh, specifically aggregating costs of uh, standardized procedures i think that can really help so currently the way governments are thinking about it is that we'll put up all these information of procedures online 
okay but we we just found out there are nearly 4000 procedures right so it's virtually non standardized thing exactly and it's virtually impossible that a patient's family who are in great duress are going to go through 4000 uh, procedures you know, and come to any book of some sort yeah so it will be much better if there is Uh, if we give a human touch to this and there is a person who's able to help the patients uh, wade through this information and provide them uh, certain uh, costs or of the standardized procedures right because you know a lot of the time there is a difference in healthcare quality with cost but different patients can afford different things so information and cost also needs to be a relevant input not everyone can go to the best of hospitals but they can go to one that's good enough to solve the healthcare problem that they have that's true you need to provide patients with actionable and unbiased information right so right. The, if these two things you are able to meet then patients and their families can make much better decisions right so. and we should understand that the healthcare market can never be perfect so no solution can be perfect in this there are there can be flaws even with the patient protection service model the question is are we improving the status quo significantly or making it worse right and i i would definitely argue that an information based system where these guys are not grievance redress officers they're not gatekeepers but they're information providers right uh, so this is one i think beyond that uh, patient protection service can also uh, enforce patient rights or make patients aware of their rights so for example if given that there is no culture of second opinions in india maybe patient protection officers before some major surgery or something can just check with the patient saying did you take a second opinion this is very important maybe you want to and then maybe even then the patient doesn't want to take it but then the choice is now on them the agency has been given to the patient and their attendants yeah so actually if you see in the latest amendment to the karnataka private uh, medical establishment the one that finally passed yeah so in they have a really good patients charter right so it lists a whole sort of protections and rights for the patients all that is really good but nothing in that actually talks about how do we implement this how do we actually make this happen so it has all good things but how do we make so this so it's happen? just something about oh if this is violated then we'll have this grievance redress mechanism which will come down on the yeah, hospital or something like this should be done or good treatment should be given right. something to that effect right? it's interesting that there are also some duties mentioned of the patient which if they don't follow then maybe they don't have the right recourse yeah. which includes if a patient is not honest say if a patient smokes but to the doctor they happily they don't want to mention that they smoke yeah that's a problem true and that also happened because we had a few instances where the patients beat up the doctors so right. uh, because of that they had to put in something on their duties yeah but the lo- larger problem is that they have a good patient protection charter but how do we get this actionable right and that's where i think a patient protection service can really help because now you have a charter and under the patient protection service you have officers who are trying to focus on trying to get this charter implemented well right and that is what their main job will be they are not uh, expected to do anything else yeah they're not expected to second guess doctors these are not medical professionals but maybe you know hospital administration uh, people maybe medical, even social social, uh, social work uh, masters folk who are sufficiently trained in this space and probably the uh, 
the remaining aspects would be to also guide people if there's a genuine grievance which has not been solved even after all this information's been provided where do they go do they go to a consumer court do they go somewhere else do they report to the medical council i think guiding patients to go to the right place can be another important function of this patient protection service and officers that's true another thing could be they could collate the feedback from the patients so that eventually we can get a robust ranking in place for right. all these See, hospitals already with when we come to thinking about healthcare decisions we go by some form of reputation right so there is this some vague idea in our heads on which hospital works well which surgeon is good sometimes we ask the doctors we know to recommend the right surgeon or specialist to solve our problems um maybe people from um who are not well off coming from a village far away will at least come to bangalore because they know that bangalore is associated with better hospitals right so there is this idea of a reputation is always there when we are making healthcare decisions except this is very informal is very fuzzy right it's like the restaurant market in india before zomato had come in it you just went somewhere you didn't know much about the costs over there maybe you listen to a friend and even now we listen to a friend yeah. but you also have zomato you also have a rating service which you can take information from right and this information service is not perfect far from it sometimes it can be gamed sometimes you can take a wrong decision based on one rating which is good or bad but in general you are able to take better decisions on where to go out and eat today than where you could go out to eat 10 years ago yeah right exactly and i think that's the idea i think a lot of people have fears about a rating system because patients might be unfair uh, not sufficiently aware of the right things and therefore might give a bad rating uh, but i think people are also mistaken about what this rating and feedback engine can be this is not you know a scale from 1 to 10 where you say would you recommend this hospital to another person but say that are you satisfied with your healthcare were you happy with your billing procedures mm. uh, were you happy with how much you paid for the quality of healthcare that you received uh, did, did your doctors treat you well did the doctors explain the right things to you right and so aggregating this kind of information can over time allow us to choose what are good hospitals and what are bad hospitals yeah this will amount to having actionable information for the patient so and ultimately right. hospitals with bad ratings will try or at least hopefully they will try to improve their rating right so it's a genuine feedback mechanism to systems where it can improve yeah one of the criticisms that people uh, make whenever we talk about patient protection services that hey these guys will eventually be paid from the hospital's pocket and then this system is not going to work at all right so how do we get the architecture right yeah so the, structurally we can try to eliminate some of these issues right but eventually there might be things that Uh, some hanky right. banky might happen right but the first thing but, is you have a patient protection officer system who are in the hospitals so we're thinking of maybe one person per, per every yeah 150 or, beds something right. like that so these patient protection officers first you do the hospital doesn't pay them so that is one thing you structurally ensure that they are not being uh, uh, they are not acting on behalf of the hospital rather than the patient so <clears throat> that's the first thing so they are probably paid by the uh, hospitals association you have or to by see the what government kind... yeah uh, some uh, 
combination of these things but not by the hospital second thing that you can do is these people are not affiliated with a particular hospital so you could have uh, these uh, patient protection officers rotating amongst hospitals so it could be a sort of a state based carder or a city based carder and they keep rotating so that they are not tied to any particular hospital right so there is no uh patriarchal system that develops yeah. where they become compromised second thing that you would do is it's not just the patient protection officers in a hospital you also have a 24/7 helpline where if the patient protection officer is not working the way you want to or is not available you can always reach out to that uh, particular uh, helpline right and these people are uh, again trying to do acting as a second line sort of and it will probably also cover all kinds of medical institutions which are not in patient hospitals yeah. say your availing the hospital is too small then you would if want the to hospital have... is too small if you want more information about outpatient services if you want to know more information about diagnostic centers and costs you have this one source which can give you information so these two three things uh, i think structurally make a patient protection officer act on behalf of the patient rather than the hospital in which he or she is sitting The issue is bigger than Karnataka as most states of thinking of what regulations to put in place. West Bengal amended its policies before Karnataka and did implement price caps, something that they are now thinking of reversing now because hospitals started rejecting patients and many patients from Bengal could not get quality healthcare within their own state and had to come as far down south as Bangalore to seek treatment. So with other states making moves now and with competitive federalism at play it can be a race to the top or a race to the bottom. At Takshashila our core proposal is a patient protection service for private healthcare. If you can think of a better solution for India do write to us. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Pragati podcast. Check out episode 8 of our sister show Amit Verma's Seen and the Unseen. where we discuss why medical education in india is so expensive and so limited in supply we'll be there every thursday with a new episode of the pragati podcast do share your comments suggestions and questions to podcast at thinkpragati.com or ping us on twitter at hamsini h or zeus is dead search for the pragati podcast on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to our show we're there everywhere उनका ऐप सब आपकी उंगलियों पे